0: Before we get in our passage as well, a couple of new lifers after services um, just made comments about the Apostles' Creed and uh, when he got to the word Catholic. And uh, well, Pastor Rich, that word Catholic. And so um, let's, let's, let's give a pastoral word here, okay? Um, first of all, on the screen there, it, we put in an asterisk that the word Catholic is, is universal, which means we, we believe in the universal church, that is, throughout time and space, yes. for past, present, future, and in space, not just our country here, where we think about the church. So that's what it means to belong. This is before, as we know it, Roman Catholicism came into place. And it's just also important to say that um, we have dear brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and... Uh, for those that say, well, they're not Christian, well, there's so many, there are lots of people in the evangelical church that are not Christian either, and so, uh, so uh, talk to me somebody, all right? So, uh, and so, when we say that, um, we're essentially saying we are connecting our lives to the church across time and across space, amen? Amen. 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 All right, let's preach now, all right? You got me started. 4. Uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come, speak to us, open our eyes as we look at to this passage here. Lord Jesus, may Your Spirit come uh, and move us, shape us, mold us, confront us, rebuke us, correct us. Lord, we need everything from You today. And Lord, human beings shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of Your mouth. And so, would You give us ears to hear Your word today? Eyes to see you and a heart to receive every gift you have for us today. So we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. One of the challenges of being married to my wife, Rosie, is her honesty. She's just very brutally honest with me. Just likes to tell me how it is, in particular with what I wear. Um, On Sundays, you see me kind of in my Sunday best, but at home, I'm not dressing up like this at home. And there's some uh, outfits and some shirts and some sweaters that I have that just trigger Rosie, like when I wear them. There's one sweater in particular. I love this sweater. Uh, sure, it had holes all over it. Sure, it didn't fit me like it used to a couple of years ago. Sure, it looked like it was about to break down at any moment, but it was my sweater. And so I would put the sweater on and she'd give me a look like, oh, no. And then I'd go, hey, we're going out, right? And she goes, you going out with that sweater on? And... I give her a verse, you know, are you ashamed of the gospel, don't be ashamed <laughs> of your husband. You know? That's the book of hesitations, you know, it's, just, uh, it's in the Bible there. And so uh, I found it finally after just many times of saying, come on, you got gift cards all over the place, go to the store and get yourself a new sweater. Finally I parted ways with the sweater and as I thought about it, I thought, isn't it interesting how attached we are to things that don't fit us anymore. In our passage today, Paul is reminding the people of God that there's a new wardrobe that they are to be wearing. And he lets them know that the old wardrobe, the old sweater, as it were, needs to be taken off and something new needs to be put on. And that something new is the way of the resurrected Jesus and of his kingdom. And so listen to Paul carefully in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to be renewed in your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all one members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, if you want to have a personal relationship with the devil, uh, be angry and sin. All right? And then you just let the evil one come into your life very quickly here. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Lord, help us today, all right? This is our text today. Lord, let's pray right now. Come on, this this is the altar call. Uh, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. What else, Paul? Rage. And anger, brawling. Paul is writing to a church that they're brawling. Uh, you know, you know, you're in a bad place when the church is brawling, uh, you know, with each other, wrestling on the floor during a worship service and all that. There, and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind to and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as God, in Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. Woo, this is a text today, all right? And so one person came up to me after and said, Rich, these are the kind of sermons that make me hate you. And so um, <laughs> we're going to go there today. Lord Jesus, speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. And we've been in the book of Ephesians. We've noted three sections. We've, we've kind of divided the book of Ephesians in three words, three verbs, three sections. And we've used the word sit, walk, and stand to divide the book of Ephesians. And Paul begins by addressing the Christian, letting us know that the way to begin our relationship with Christ is to recognize where we're seated, to recognize that we have been seated with Christ. And these words speak about identity. It speaks about our status. It speaks about our significance. It speaks about our, our stability in the world. In one word, it speaks about our authority, that we have an authority because we are seated With Christ. And when Paul writes these words to the Ephesians, it's kind of a subversive word because Paul is writing to people who, according to the world system, has no authority. They're far from Caesar's throne. They're far from political power. They're far from social power. And Paul has the audacity to say, you might not be close to Caesar, but you are seated with Christ. You have authority, and that's good news for us because you might not have power in your company, but you do have authority in Jesus. You might not have authority or power in our city and in our country and in our world, but we have been raised up and seated with Christ, and you have authority because of Jesus' name. And so Paul says we have to learn, first of all, how to sit. And as we went on through the book of Ephesians, we noted that it's not just us sitting individually. We have to learn how to sit together as the people of God, that God tends to draw people close together who we would not choose, but God chooses. And we have no choice who sits next to us. We don't get to choose who sits next to us. God chooses who sits next to us. And so we are to be a people of God, seated with Christ, uh, breaking barriers together. And so Paul talks about the mystery. And so after being seated with God, seated with Christ, he now talks about what does it mean to walk, to, to walk as Christ. We cannot learn how to walk unless we learn how to sit, but out of sitting, we have to learn how to walk. And now in chapter 4, Paul's using now new language, new metaphors to talk about what does it mean to walk in the way of the resurrected Jesus. And so in verse 22, he says, you were taught... "...with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires." Paul's writing to this church, and he's very concerned. He's saying, church, we had a conversation about your old way of living, and we decided to put that old way, that old wardrobe, where it belongs in the trash, and somehow we've gone back into the trash, and we've taken it out, and we've put the wardrobe back on. And if it didn't look good before it went into the trash, it looks even worse now that you've taken it out of the trash, And so it doesn't fit. Why? Because we've already, could you imagine, you just bought yourself a new suit and then you go into the trash and take out the old stuff and then you put it on top of the new suit. This is the old self. What we do when we go back to our old ways of living, we are going in the trash. And so Paul says, I thought we talked about your old self has been put away. Interestingly enough, let me make a connection with the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul doesn't just say that the old self is alive. He says the old self has been put to death. He said the old self is dead in Romans. But in Ephesians, he says you have to put the old self away. Paul, which one is it? Is he dead or is he alive? And the question is yes. The answer is yes. it reminds me of, of these horror movies. You know, you thought the, the monster was gone, and somehow he found his way back into the movie. This is our old man, our old woman, our old self. We think it's dead, and somehow by faith it is dead, but we have to, by obedience and discipleship, continue to put this old self away. And so in this statement, Paul is describing a deep challenge of life that we often go back to a way of life that no longer suits us and no longer fits us. And here's the tension that we have to hold on to, that it is very possible to be seated with Christ and still have our old selves influencing us. Now, look, look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, because, you, uh, you, because you've gone back to your old ways, you've lost your seat, You're not seated with Christ anymore. He doesn't say that. And neither does he say because you're seated with Christ, the way you live doesn't matter anymore. No, he's saying because you have been seated with Christ, there is a new way that you are to live in the world. Now, the obvious allusion to this passage is of putting off and putting on is it's an allusion to kind of taking off old garments that have been worn down and putting on something new. And the metaphor is helpful, but it's not the best metaphor because it presupposes or assumes that taking off the old self and putting on the new self is pretty easy. It's, Mr. Rogers, I used to watch Mr. Rogers going up. And he comes and he the door and says, listen, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And then he has his jacket. He takes the jacket off. He hangs it up. He gets the sweater, of course. He puts it on. The old shoes are off. The new shoes are on. And we think that's spirituality right there. That's not Christian spirituality. As much as I love Mr. Rogers, the old self, don't you wish you could just say, you know what? I'm done with that addiction. Let me take that off and then put on righteousness. If only it was that easy. Paul is saying that the best metaphor for it is not taking off an old garment and putting on something new. That's much too easy. There's another image that I want to share. And before I do that, I want to just normalize something in our lives, that the process of putting off the old self and putting on the new self is not easy. And I want to normalize this reality that the journey towards Christ-likeness is a slow up and down journey with setbacks, struggles, and failures. And we need to normalize this. Some of us, when we don't normalize this, we live either with great shame or we project strength that's not really there. We live with great shame. How could I still be in this wrestling with this sin? How could I still be struggling with this? And I want to normalize the experience of life, that life is about ups and downs and failures and setbacks and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And let's try again. And so uh, don't let shame overpower you and lead you in some kind of depression, but also don't project a sense of strength that's not there. And the world, all the church often hides our weaknesses because we can't deal with our failure. And so uh, this is the natural, the, the, really the normal Christian experience of ups and downs. And so the journey of taking off the old self and putting on the new self is not really like taking off an old sweater and putting on a new one. What I would suggest to you is that it's more of an image of getting a tattoo removed. That's more of the image of taking off the old self and putting on the new self. The old way of life has been tattooed onto us. We have become one with it, as it were. Behaviors and values and the way that we think about things, the ways that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about people, the family patterns that have so identified our lives has been, as it were, tattooed onto us. Trauma that we've experienced personally, trauma we've experienced socially, shame from past mistakes, abuse, they have been tattooed on us. And not just what others have done to us, what has been tattooed is what we've done to others. The anger that we carry on the inside, the addictions, the prejudice, the gossip, although Christians don't gossip, we share prayer requests. Uh, but all, the, all the different ways that we live towards people has been tattooed on us. And so to put off the old self is not a one-time easy thing. It's like removing a tattoo. And I was reading this past week of a dermatologist who was talking about removing a tattoo, and this is what she said. She said, what makes tattoo removal so difficult, uh, Dr. Green, a dermatologist, explained, is that multiple lasers are required to remove various colors and over 100,000 people in a given year go through some kind of tattoo removal. Each color requires a different wavelength, which means different lasers might need to be used. Traditionally, blue and black colors are the easiest to remove and other shades are harder for the light to get rid of. Size can also play a big role. The larger the tattoo, the more time it will take. And not only is tattoo removal a time-consuming process, it can be quite costly. Green said prices range from 400 And up for each laser session, depending on size and colors. It takes at least five treatments just to remove a simple black tattoo the size of a quarter. And more complex tattoos can take 10 or more sessions. There's also a waiting period of six to eight weeks between each laser removal appointment to let the skin heal. So if you want a tattoo gone right away, Dr. Green says it's not going to happen. We often want it immediately. Can you just pray this out of me? And we want the fast route, but here's the good. Let me just give you some good news first here. There is nothing that has been tattooed on you that is greater than the power of God to get it off of you. Okay. There's nothing that has been done to you that has marked you. That is greater than the power of God to set you free from it. There's no behaviors that have been marked that you've been marked by tattooed on that the power of God cannot liberate you from. Amen. And so this is the good news. As Paul is talking about taking off the old self and putting on the new self, we are to rest in the reality of the power of God. And so Paul says we have to take off the old self. And that word to take off, to put off, is in Greek the present continuous tense. It is put off and keep putting off. (laughs) In other words, it's not going to happen just one time. It's a process. This is discipleship. And what happens in the church is what we often want is not deep transformation. What we want is behavioral modification. And the church often preaches behavioral modification rather than deep transformation. And behave, why? Because behavioral modification is easy; transformation is hard. When I became a Christian, I was taught really a spirituality of behavioral modification. If you want to be like Christ, you better stop doing this and stop doing that and stop doing that and stop doing and stop doing that, and then you can start doing this. And there's a, a, a good. for all the things that I should not have been doing and a good case for the things I should have been doing, but there is a a depth of transformation that's not going to happen because you decided to stop listening to secular music. Just because we stop listening to secular music doesn't mean we've been transformed on the inside. And so we, we often go with behavioral modification Instead of the deep transformation that God wants to do inside of us. And so Paul says, put off and keep putting off the old self. And before he gets to how do we put on the new self that has been created to be like God in true righteousness and in true holiness, he he creates a bridge between the old self and the new self, and he gives the language of renewing of the mind. He says, put off the old self and be renewed in the spirit of your Mind And he places it, as it were, as the bridge between putting off the former way of life and putting on the new self. And I want to talk quickly about this renewing of the mind, because the renewing of the mind is more focused than we often think it is. The renewing of the mind is not just about getting more Bible information in you. Because it's possible to have a lot of Bible in you, and you still not be renewed. The Pharisees had a lot of Bible in them, and they were not renewed. They could memorize scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, and still Jesus would say, you are a tomb filled with dead men bones. I mean, that's what Jesus said about them, And, and yet they knew a lot of the Bible. And so Bible knowledge as important as it is, is really not the pathway towards the kind of transformation we need. It's a more specific kind of renewal that's needed. And let me say it this way. Our minds are not renewed in the general reading of the word of God that is scripture. Our minds are renewed in the specific contemplation on the word of God that is Jesus. Say it again. Our minds are not renewed by a general reading of the word of God, scripture. Our minds are renewed by the specific contemplation on the word of God, which is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. The Bible bears witness to Jesus. And so are we to read all the the scriptures? Of course. But there is a particular kind of of contemplation of fixing our attention on Jesus that leads to the kind of transformation that we truly long for. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all who with unveiled faces behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Hear, hear the word here. As we behold God, We become like God. Here's the principle. Whatever we behold, we ultimately become. Whatever we behold, we ultimately become. This is why you have to be careful what you behold. Because whatever you behold, whatever you fix your attention on, that's what you'll become. I remember a number of years back, I had a cousin who was a teenager, and he was um, playing this video game called Grand Theft Auto. And um, they're, like, they're like gradations of demonic. That's really high on the demonic spectrum. And he was playing this video game. And for those of you that um, have never seen it or played it, it's essentially a, a game where you are this personality, you're this, this person, and you're, you're, the goal is to kill as many people as you possibly can, take their cars, uh, and and gold chains and it's a glamorizing of violence and all that there, and it's incentivizing of it as well. You get more people you kill, the more points you get, and uh, and so you're stealing, killing, and destroying. That sounds like Satan to me. And so um, <laughs> I'm just being biblical here, okay? And so and so I, my cousin is playing this video game. He's fixed his eyes at four hours just fixed playing this video game. And he's been playing just shooting people and kill. And after a while, we're like, "Hey, uh, we got to get him off." Like, and so we're, we're tapping it. And he's just like in a trance. Just, I mean, I mean. And at one point, I mean, this kid is sweet, man. This kid is a nice, kind teenager. And we just and at one point we go, Matt, and he just goes, "Get off of me!" And we were like, you know, like, like. <laughs> and he went. Right back to his game and kept playing there. And there was a moment that I said, this kid is becoming something. Why? Because he's been holding something. And whatever ultimately you behold, you're going to become. This is what Paul is getting at. He's saying, the more you behold God in Christ, the more you're going to become like God in Christ. And so listen, the putting on of the, old, the, the new self is not, I got to try harder. I got to work harder. I got to do this. No, no. Paul's saying the, the, the way you do it is by beholding. And somehow when, the Holy, when you're beholding God, the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of you to make stuff that would be almost impossible in your own strength, all of a sudden it comes across easy. And so all of a sudden someone hurts you, but you're offering kindness to that person. How that happened? That wasn't you. That was God working inside of you. You were about to, you know, uh, take advantage of a situation like you would before. But something happened inside. You said, oh, that's not right. That wasn't you. That was the Holy Spirit working inside of you. It, whatever we behold, we ultimately become. And so Paul is saying we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds by beholding Jesus. Now, um, this I, I, what does it mean to behold? Someone was asking, what does it mean to behold? Let me say it as practically as I possibly can. Uh, of course, we should be reading all of the scriptures. But I believe a Christian needs to pay that much more attention to the way and the life and the teachings of Jesus than anything else. Amen. And I don't, I, I don't want to get into a whole biblical kind of uh, Lesson on exegesis, on why Jesus is better than the Old Testament, and there's continuity in the Old Testament, and then there's discontinuity. So for example, in the Old Testament, they say an eye for an eye, and Jesus says, you've heard it said that, but I tell you this. In other words, Jesus is saying, my way is better. And so as a Christian who belonged to Jesus, the primary orientation of our lives, of our heart, is to be focusing on our master, on our Lord, and to follow in his way. And so we are to be reading the Gospels, not just what would he, but we. The life of Jesus is to is to form our character, and so we we behold Jesus by looking at his life, his teaching, his way, and we behold Jesus in prayer. That whereas as we are beholding in faith, Jesus abiding with him in prayer, there's a transformation that becomes possible in us because whatever you behold, you ultimately become. And the question for all of us today is: What have you been beholding? What have you been fixing your eyes on today? It makes I, I talk to people and they say I've been filled with so much anxiety. I say, I'll, I'll tell what, what you've been watching. Well, I just keep watching the news. All I watch the news all the time. And, and uh, whoa, well, okay, you've been beholding the craziness of our country, and you're you're, you're shocked that you're filled with anxiety. Whatever you behold, they're ultimately going to become. What have you been beholding? What have you been fixing your eyes on? What has, what has your attention been fixed on? That is the question for the Christian. And Paul says, if our new self is going to come, it needs to come because we have been beholding Jesus. And when we behold Jesus, he says, there is a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness that begins to describe your life. And so Paul then says, put off the old self, and it's more like a tattoo than it is an old sweater. Renew your mind, behold Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then he says, and then put on the new self. And then he goes into specific detail for that community in Ephesus about what does it mean to do this very practically. And I want to take those words of Paul, and I want to apply them to us. He goes into great detail about what are the things that they should stop doing, put off, and what are the things that they should start doing, putting on. And the first thing he says is put away lying. He says, you know you've been created to be like God in righteousness and holiness when you put away lying and you put on speaking the truth to your neighbor. Now, we live in a world of such political spin and such falsehood That to speak the truth to your neighbor is like an otherworldly activity. Like to just simply speak the truth in a world that has, that's about cover ups and falsehood and manipulation and spin, to just speak the truth is a prophetic act. And so Paul says, Put away falsehood. That word falsehood is where we get the word pseudo from. It's a a false self. Be who you are, he says, and speak the truth to your neighbor. Why? Because we are all one body. The reality is Paul says this, and he has to say it because he knows, Paul knows, and I know, that the church is often filled with a lot of lying. There's a lot of lying that happens in the church, often in the name of Jesus. And we lie about many things. We lie often about how we feel and what we think about something or how we're doing. So someone says, how's it going? I'm great. I'm blessed. I'm favorite. I'm just, I'm just doing great. <laughs> and your life is a mess. <laughs> I'm fantastic. No, I'm great. I'm great. We lie about someone doing something to us and how we really feel about it. Someone hurts you and I'm okay. And yet you have a picture and you're throwing darts at India in your room, guys. Like, hi. Ah. I might have shared the story a couple of years ago. i never forget my first time preaching on a Good Friday service. And um, I prepared a PowerPoint presentation. And um, it was the climax of the Good Friday service. And I was like, oh, I'm going to just connect the dots. I'm going to show the congregation a picture that's going to bring everything together. And they're going to. Like, it was going to be awesome. <laughs> and so I'm waiting, and I get to the end of the Good Friday sermon, and, and I go, hey, it's just like this picture right here. And nothing comes up, you know, and then done. And said, oh, man, thank God we have two services, you know. Thank God we have two. And I think I tell pastors, I think pastors should have two services just because. Sometimes you mess up the first. Service. I think God we have three. You guys are lucky. You got the, this is the third. I don't, I feel bad for that first service. I was, I was. And so um, I go to the back. This is almost 10 years. I go to the back, and I go, hey, what happened to the, 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 the screen? That person says, oh, sorry about that. It's going to be good for the second service. I said, all right. I get up. I'm preaching again. I go, oh, here it is. And, 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 and bam, there it is right there. Nothing comes up again. <laughs> and so um, on the inside... I'm seething. I'm just and, and it's a Good Friday too, and uh, I said, it's going to be a bad Friday for somebody. And 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 uh, and then at the end of it, I was so bothered by it. And the person said, um, "Sorry, Rich." And I said, "Oh, don't worry about it. It's all good." And I walked away, just like I can't stand that bracket And I realized at that moment, I was a pseudo self. I lied. And the church often is, just, in the name of Jesus, filled with lying. And Paul says, we got to speak the truth to each other. Speak the truth about what you see. Speak the truth about what you feel. Now, I want to nuance this a little bit because some people are going to say, that's right. I can't wait to speak the truth about this situation. So be, <laughs> before, before you get all emotionally unhealthy on me... Uh, you know, when we speak the truth, we're just being respectful, we're honest, we're clear, we're timely, all right? And so before you say, Pastor Ridge done gave me permission to say this, I've been waiting two months, pause, all right? Just wait a second. Be respectful and honest and clear and timely. And so Paul says, you know you've put on the new self when you no longer have the need to lie. I read a statistic that 91% of people that we lie every day, and a good percentage of that are premeditated lies. Like, we really think, oh, God, I want to say this right now. And we're just really, really thinking hard about lying. And Paul says, put off falsehood and speak the truth to your neighbor. And then he says these words here, you, uh, be angry and don't sin. It's like, really? I mean, how, how is this possible? Be angry and don't sin. Paul says, you're in a community, and the reality is the old self gets angry and then uses it, it festers and nurtures the anger, and then is angry at that person and, and causes violence against the person. That's the old self. He says the new self, he doesn't say, and don't get angry. Notice he doesn't say that. He says, get angry, but don't sin. That's very important. And I, many of us, we don't give ourselves permission to be angry. And what you're, you're essentially doing is you are, you're, you're, there's this part of you that you are submerging and suppressing that's going to come out in some other way. And it's going to be a disproportionate kind of event. Someone stepped on your shoe, but you're angry about something that happens, and, and, and you just killed somebody because they stepped on your shoe. Why? Because I couldn't be angry. Good Christians are not angry. And yet Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. The kind of anger he's talking about is one that festers, one that you're nurturing, you're thinking, you're meditating, you're contemplating, you're beholding it. You're just, I can't wait to get back at that person. That's the kind of anger that Paul's saying. That's destructive anger. Be angry, but don't sin. Then he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Or unwholesome tweets come out of your mobile devices. You know, it's. it's, it's... Paul says the way that we speak now towards, to one another is to be transformed. That yes, we can speak out against injustice, but there's a way of speaking that only perpetuates the cycle of injustice. And so how do we speak truth in love? That's the question. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And I just want to go over the rest of it for us here. And I want you to take a moment, as you think about this past week, as to where God is calling you to put off the former self and to put on the new self. And so he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The question is, where have you been angry this past week, and where did you cross the line? Lord, help us to put off our old self. And put on our new self. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. This is a set language of like greed and such. But must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Where has, has unwholesome talk come out of your mouths this past week? Tearing people down but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, all of this old self stuff ultimately grieves the Spirit of God inside of you, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God says to us today, there is a new self that has been offered to you in Jesus that we can walk into. And there is no tattoo of the old self that is so powerful that Jesus cannot take out of you. And we are to hold on to both of these realities the power of God as well as what does it mean to follow God consistently putting off this old self, old ways, old patterns, old habits, old behaviors, beholding Jesus. And as we behold, we become like him, putting on the new self. This is the message we need today. You become what you behold. I want to give us a moment to behold. Um, I want to have the worship team come forward. And I want to give us a moment to behold Jesus in silence and in, in prayer. And this is ultimately the key to our transformation. Will we take the time to behold Jesus? And so the question is what have you been beholding? Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. What, what have you been beholding? What has your attention been fixed on? And the invitation for us today is to turn our gaze and fix our eyes on Jesus. And so with your eyes closed, for the next minute or so, we want to be attentive to the presence of Jesus. We're a church, and we are, because we are a church, the Holy Spirit is with us, and the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. So Jesus is very present today with us right now. Whether you know it or not, Jesus is present with us. And we want to be attentive to his presence right now. So for the next minute, maybe the only word that you say when your mind gets distracted is Jesus. In other words, I want to fix my eyes on you. I want to become like you. I want to behold you. And may God begin to orient our lives in such a way that the the core trajectory of our lives is that we are people who behold and love Jesus. And we are transformed as a result. Let's take about a minute or so. And maybe your prayer is, Lord, help me. Jesus, help me. Or Jesus, here I am. But let's behold Jesus as a community together. Lord Jesus, we confess this afternoon that we often put on our old self and we go back to bad habits and behaviors in ways that are just inconsistent with who you've created us to be. We go into trash, as it were, to put on old garments on top of the new garment that you've made us. And so today, Lord, may our eyes be fixed on you. May you forgive us and pour out your grace over us so that in our beholding of you, we would become like you, and we would put on this new self, created to be like God in righteousness and in holiness, and Lord, we behold your glory by singing to you now, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, let's all stand, let's sing together, amen, amen i like to have the prayer team come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. And the question is, what have you been beholding? What have you been fixing your eyes on? Where has your old self been popping up in your life recently? And the invitation is not, try harder, do better. Really, the invitation is to behold Jesus. And as we behold Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to empower us to do things that we could not do in our own strength. This is why I'm I'm so grateful that Jesus sent his spirit. He could have just resurrected and said, guys, I'll see you later. But he goes, I'm going to send you my spirit so that you can do in my power what you can never do in your own. And so he says, your job is to behold. My job is to make you become. And that's the pure gift of the gospel, pure gift of Christianity. And so our prayer team is to my left. And maybe your old self, old habits, old behaviors, old patterns of thinking, um, old wounds, old trauma has just been dominating your life. And you realize um, you need freedom. You need to behold Jesus. You need the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Our prayer team is here. And we love to pray for you for whatever need you have. And we have the Lord's table as well, which one of the ways we behold Jesus is by coming to the table to take bread and dip it in the cup. And our eyes are fixed on him and his way of brokenness and being poured out. And as we take in his body and blood, as it were, we become like Christ as we do it in faith. And so the Lord's table will be here. Our prayer team will be here. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And my encouragement for you this week is you would fix your eyes on Jesus. You would behold him in in all of his beauty, whether you're reading through the gospels, whether you're in prayer, whether you're in silence, you would behold Jesus and he will make you become as you behold him. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you and shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. And May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, beholding the beauty of Jesus. And as you behold him, may you become like him. And may you put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. And may those who you encounter this week see a little bit more of Jesus in you And may you lead them in a deeper relationship with Christ. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.